Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going to start at the, the end of the passage, uh, and Jesus says something that you've, you may have uh, heard this before, you may have read it, and uh, it's one of his, I think, most provocative statements, and, we're going to, and it's right at the end of what we're going to read today, but we're going to start with it, and that is in Matthew 5.48, and he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is is perfect. So our aim for this morning, uh, before midday, is perfection. That's what we're going for. Uh, and has just as a kind of show of hands, has anyone here yet achieved perfection? Rosie, I knew you had. And I thought you would, Gabby, uh, by putting your hand up, thus proving you're still some way to perfection. Well played. Um, and because it, it's a ridiculous suggestion, right, to say, yeah, perfect everything nailed. Basically, there is nothing wrong with me as a human. I'm now entirely in the way that God intended me to be in every single facet of life. It's mad, isn't it, to suggest that. Uh, In fact, this whole passage we're going to read this morning is a bit crazy. It's crazy because it's actually quite simple to understand, and we'll read it together. I think it's relatively simple to see what Jesus was getting at, but the application of it is just incredibly difficult. In fact, so difficult, humans have been failing to do this since the very fall of humanity. Since uh, sin and evil first came into the world, uh, since we first made that decision to follow ourselves and not God's, to chase after our own way and not his way, perfection has been out of our grasp. But that is exactly what Jesus calls us to. As he preaches that Sermon on the Mount, it's what he calls everyone there listening and us today to this whole new way of life. Not only that, a whole new way that the universe, all of creation, is meant to operate. And Jesus is saying, basically, I want you to bring perfection into imperfection. The imperfect must become perfect. It's a call to fix everything that is broken. So by the end of this meeting, we'll be there. We'll have it nailed. You'll be perfect. Uh, the world around you will be perfect as well. Is that right? Sounds good? Well, let's just see how we get on. So Matthew 5, and we're going to start in verse 38, and I'm just going to read it through for you. If you've got Bibles on your phones or whatever, or the old school paper version, but it will appear behind you or behind me as well. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, (coughs) turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the, dust, on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And therefore, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in this, uh, this little passage, this bit of t- teaching in, in Jesus' big sermon, there are a few provocative statements that actually we are kind of part of our modern day language and vernacular. We sometimes use these. Uh, so turn the other cheek, that's a, a phrase that we would hear people use. Uh, the next one is a bit more obscure. So if you're sued for your tunic, give them your cloak. Okay, that's a, an unusual one that's, uh, that nobody's really run with. But go the extra mile. That's what Jesus says there. We will hear that used. We perhaps use it quite differently to what Jesus was using it, but we still, it's in our language. Love your enemies. That's one that comes through a little bit, often on Instagram, surrounded by flowers. (laughs) But there are some big provocative statements here, aren't there? Even you must be perfect. Lots of big provocative statements aimed at us as humans to think about. So in 2014... In the east of Ukraine, some friends of ours lived there and lived there. They don't live there anymore. Uh, And in 2014, Russia invaded. Okay, so we all know, remember their most recent invasion, but actually they started this war a lot longer before that. Uh, And the Russians denied that it was them, but there were friends of ours who lived there and said, uh, and they would email and they would be on the phone and saying, it is Russia because I'm looking out my window and I can see their tanks. I can actually see them on my streets. I can see the soldiers. Uh, And Russia completely denied it at the time and said it was uh, an insurgency, but uh, that's not what was happening. Uh, And many people we know fled, actually. Many of our friends fled. Churches were split in two or just disintegrated. Livelihoods were lost. Friends and family were killed. It was absolute chaos then. Uh, And uh, my friend Andre, who's been to Manchester a few times, spoke at our last CCM day. He fled with his family. He just bought his house. He told me about it. Yeah, we just bought this house. We just finished doing it up. And within a few weeks of it being finished, the Russians invaded and we fled. And he fled with his family, his car, some paperwork, and that was it. All his possessions in the world basically gone. His whole life gone. It was chaos. And that story was repeated for many people across the east of Ukraine, Christians amongst them. And the churches that were left behind, and some of them were, some of them didn't flee, some of them just were too old or had little kids or whatever and just decided we're going to stay and wait this out, they actually began to mobilise themselves as churches, began to feed those around them that were poor. Uh, began to look after those that were really vulnerable. And in a war zone, that's many people. And then a strange thing began to happen. They found themselves with the opportunity to look after injured soldiers in the hospital. And they were looking after Ukrainian injured soldiers. And then after a while, there were Russian injured soldiers there. And they began to look after them as well. Now, that's no easy thing to do. Because these people have invaded your nation perhaps uh, destroyed your life. Perhaps even some of your family have died. And they began to look after these injured Russian soldiers, causing immense heartache as they did it. And numbers of years later, uh, Andre was with us, and he was speaking at one of the sites of CCM, and he told this story. And I remember sitting on the front row next to Vic and just looking at him going, they did what? They looked after these, poor, these Russian soldiers, their enemy. They're, I mean, it's, when you, Jesus says, love your enemy, this is probably the most potent example. They actually invaded your nation. They're actually trying to kill you. Now you are looking after them whilst the war is still going on. 
And uh, I was a bit undone because Andre told this story and, and then he ended by saying, your enemy is not people in your church who are annoying. And you could see everybody going, flip it. <laughs> yeah, it was a real, very powerful moment. And actually, he was speaking very broadly against petty disagreements, upset, personality clash, immaturity, all of those sorts of things. All of these things exist in church. They exist in families, don't they? They exist in friendship groups, in workplaces, in wherever. All of those kind of normal human behaviours exist. And I remember a very deep sense of conviction and repentance that I had to do and continue to do. And as Jesus kind of talks about this, as he uh, he preaches in this moment, he is presenting a way of living to the world that is very different. He is presenting a way of living in a world that thrives on retaliation, on punching back. Now, we can just watch the news for a few minutes and watch how conflicts escalate. We're watching it play out in Israel at the moment, but you could pick any number of different uh, theatres of war across the world where conflict escalates because people feel a sense they need to retaliate, need to defend themselves. And it happens on a much more local level as well. Watch your family or your friendship groups where there is perhaps bubbling resentment. And actually you can see situations escalate very quickly where people need to retaliate. And you often see it played out in kind of competitiveness. Uh, and uh, me and Vicky have uh, done marriage prep for uh, hundreds of couples over the years, probably. And when it begins to get difficult, you can see it comes out in competition, in a bit of retaliation. Uh, if one person in the marriage succeeds at something in life, whether it's work or whatever, uh, and the other person doesn't, if their reaction is competition with uh, their spouse then you can see that retaliation beginning to, to play out. And you see it with friends as well. When uh, one succeeds and the other doesn't, is the other rejoicing in the other's success or actually is it a point of conflict? See it in families too. I have a friend of mine who says, okay, if we have any family event and my brother turns up, he just dominates uh, and everything spins around him and it begins a bit of a cycle of competition and retaliation. And Jesus is presenting a way of living in the world, a world that thrives on this retaliation. And and as he's standing up there and speaking, the people that are listening to him, the the Israelite nation, actually has plenty of enemies. Uh, And they have a lot of enemies for a a few reasons. Uh, One of them, their kind of theology, they viewed themselves as special, the chosen people of God, which God says to them, you are my people, uh, I love you. But uh, they had kind of warped that a bit, little bit and, and turned chosen people into we are the better people. We are better than all of those people around us. And so they hated the pagans, which would be people who weren't uh, Jewish, weren't Israelites. And, and you'd even say that the mood of that nation at the time was very nationalistic, very proud of who they were, even though they were an invaded nation. They were invaded by the Romans, so uh, they hated the Romans. They hated the tax, the tax collectors who took money for the Romans. There are a lot of people for them to hate, to make as an enemy. And there are enemies in the world, aren't there? There are enemies in the world. You may, people may pop into your minds even as we're thinking about it. And Jesus is saying, well, how do you, if you are going to follow me, if you are a disciple of mine, if you are someone who is involved in the advance of the kingdom, how do you deal with enemies? 
perhaps on a, a really difficult level, how do we deal with an abusive parent or, or someone who has uh, abused us in some ways? How do you deal with an awful boss? I remember as a kid, uh, my dad uh, went through a phase of, of having a boss who was so bad, it used to wake him in the night, screaming with nightmares, because this guy was so difficult to deal with, so oppressive. How do you deal with that as a, as a Christian? How do you deal with someone, maybe when you're physically attacked in some way, or someone who steals from you? Perhaps even someone who just seems to direct hatred and distrust and dislike of you. How do you deal with enemies? And Jesus actually proposes a way to confront them. And sometimes we read this and we see it as a statement of passivity, a statement of making peace, because he says, blessed are the peacemakers, and peace at all costs, like, I will give up everything and just for peace, just for quiet. And actually, Jesus isn't proposing that. He's proposing a way of confronting here as a believer, as a follower of him. And he's proposing a way that ends retaliation. So he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, And in this, he is referencing Old Testament commands. And actually, it's a really good command. This command is trying to bring equality to retaliation in this moment. It's trying to, to stop a death for an eye. So if someone takes your eye, you've, you've got up the ante to, in order to get justice. They've taken your eye, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill them. Uh, he's, and the, the law is actually, no, no, an eye for an eye. Let's keep it equal. Let's try to break the cycle of revenge. But Jesus wants to go even further than that. Now, this Sermon on the Mount is about his new kingdom, isn't it? It's about the way he wants to rule the world. It's about uh, the way he is going to defeat death and sin and evil. And this Sermon on the Mount, as we read it, we can hear kind of what's going to happen. We know about the cross because we can read the whole gospel in front of us. We know that he's going to walk out of the tomb. He will be resurrected. We hear all of that in there. So as he says, uh, and uh, as he talks about defeating evil, we know how he's going to do it, don't we? But the Sermon on the Mount explains how the cross, how the resurrection actually plays out for us in everyday life, how we bring it into the world that we live in. Jesus is redefining justice right in front of us. He's ending the escalation. And he wants us to provoke us to think, okay, well, how do I actually do that in day-to-day day life? How do I break the cycle of retaliation? But also, how do we bring justice? We can have a sometimes very odd view of forgiveness, where we just forgive, but there is no justice. And actually, for forgiveness to really work, there does need to be justice as part of that. There needs to be proper repentance and reconciliation, right? So how do we do that? How do we point people to a different kingdom and a different king? And Jesus gives us three kind of sketches, three little examples uh, to explain this. And as we read these, they are not hard and fast rules. They are provocations. They don't cover every situation that you are going to face in life. And many people experience horrifying things from an enemy, things that they are subjected to. And Jesus gives us, or is trying to give us, a framework for processing that, for even thinking, okay, this is the options I have in those moments, in those times of difficulty that advance the kingdom. And the overall theme of his sketches is do not resist the evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. It's almost saying, don't punch back on their terms. 
think about it a little bit differently. So what do we do then? If someone directs evil at you or is an enemy to you and treats you in that way as an individual or as your friendship group or perhaps even as a nation, what do you do? Well, let's look at these three examples. I think Jesus explains some very creative ways of bringing about some justice. And the first example, if, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, we, we don't really live in a culture where that is very common, a slap of... Can you imagine if your boss, you didn't do very well, bam! It's just, it isn't going to happen, is it? They're not in this day and age, perhaps actually not too long ago in our culture, but not now. But actually, the slap of the cheek it is a backhand, and it's, a, it's an action of condescension, uh, and usually aimed at an adult to a child or a, uh, a slave owner to a slave. That's kind of the position of it. And it's someone asserting power over you. That's what they are doing. And it's physical power because it's violent. Okay? It's using uh, physicality to hurt someone. But it's also asserting positional power. Because when they hit, you know you can't hit back. That's how it is. So if a, a father were to smack a child... The child knows, I can't punch back. Those aren't the rules. I just have to take this. Uh, he's asserted positional power. Or if an employer uh, smacks an employee, an employee knows I have no, nothing I can do in this moment. I cannot fight back. If I fight back, it will be much worse. That is positional power there. And we may have experienced this in some way. It may not have been violent. It may have been, it may not have been, where someone has tried to dominate, manipulate, control you. It's an awful experience. Uh, we, we've um, been through some stuff recently where people have been trying, to, someone was trying to do it at me, that sense of I'm going to dominate, manipulate, I'm going to control you. And it wasn't violent, but it was aggressive. And actually, it's an awful experience. It kind of eats you and sits within you. It's a horrible feeling. And Jesus says, in that position, turn the other cheek. You think, okay, okay, what do you mean by that? That's that's quite a statement to make. It's quite easy to misunderstand. He doesn't mean allow yourself to be abused. Just suck it up, that's life. Allow yourself to be hurt continually. Stay in that relationship. That's not what he means. Actually, pastorally, we regularly tell people if they're in a very difficult relationship or there is someone around them who's dangerous, you can get away. That's a good thing. We encourage that. You need to get away from a dangerous person. But let's think about the action as well, what he's saying. If someone demeans you with a slap, how potent is it in that moment to say, do you want another go? Do you want to hit me again? In that moment, the only option Jesus is saying that you have is to highlight your own weakness. So we think the option is, uh, they are dominating me, I need to dominate back. That's the only way. I need to find a way that I can dominate them back. And in these situations, there, there rarely is a way you can do that. You can only lose. But Jesus is saying, reveal your own weakness to them. Show them, this is my position. It's an impertinent action, actually, to say, oh, you can hit me again if you would like to. This clearly helps you to have power over me. You can hit me again if you want to. It is an attempt to highlight the unfairness of the situation, okay? That's what he's saying. Now, he's not saying if random people thump you in the streets, don't go in asking for more. That's not what he means. It's trying to say what you should do is highlight your weakness. They are trying to dominate and have power over you. And perhaps the only way you can assert some control is to claim some equality. 
It's perhaps the only way of saying I'm not under your control by saying you can do this again. So how did this work out for Jesus? Well, actually, Jesus went to the cross, didn't he? Died a horrifying death. It was an act of turning the other cheek to defeat oppressive power, power that wants to dominate control, that wants to oppress. Actually, he allowed it to defeat him. And then he broke the rules and came back to life. And turning the other cheek actually is meant to, we're meant to ponder this a little bit. As Jesus said this, he meant us to think deeply about this. Think about the situations that perhaps we find ourselves in, or perhaps that friends find ourselves in, where they just have weakness, and it's hard for them to have anything else, and think, how do we, how do you deal with this situation? What creative ways can we begin to bring justice to the situation you find yourself in? The second sketch that uh, Jesus paints is this, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And again, Jesus is trying to highlight a loss of power. So he is perhaps suggesting someone who is in a law court being sued by a powerful enemy. And he is saying, really, you have no chance of winning. You don't. You just have no chance of winning. Even to try to win is foolish because you don't have the money. You you can't pay for it. Uh, You don't know the right people. Uh, You are not someone who is uh, in a position where you can fight back. You are completely powerless. Those resources that they have to fight, you don't have those. You can't do it. You don't have the legal expertise that they have. You can't win. So you are powerless in that situation. And Jesus says, all you can do in those moments is highlight your weakness, to give them more than they want to take. And again, he's saying, look, this is a way of trying to highlight your lack of power, the lack of fairness, the lack of control that you yourself has. It's not meant to be petulant. It's almost as if you could stand there and say, well, you are suing me. That must mean you're having a hard time and you need more money, uh, even though you're wealthy. Would, Would you like my coat as well? Would that help you? You seem to, this seems to be a difficult moment for you. Let me serve you in some way. It's totally subversive. It's not standing up for your rights. It's not talking about your own sense of entitlement. It's offering to serve someone. It's highlighting the imbalance of a fallen world. And thirdly, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Go the extra mile. And uh, Jesus is painting a sketch this time that many of the people in the crowd would have known. I think they would have also known about being hit. I think they would have known about being sued. I think they would have known about being forced to go the extra mile because that was something the Roman armies would do. They would force you to carry their bags. And they could do that. It was kind of part of their way of doing things. You can ask anyone to carry your bag for a mile, regardless of what they're doing in life, regardless of uh, the position they find themselves in. They have to do it. And Jesus is saying, look, in these moments, you have no choice about this or they'll kill you. So use kindness to highlight an injustice here. Even perhaps this could be an embarrassing thing for that soldier. If he's like, you've got to carry this for a mile. Like, fine, at the end of that mile, I'm happy to carry it another mile. You're you're clearly struggling, uh, you big Roman soldier. This is difficult for you. Would you like me to carry this further for you? It's meant to be a bit embarrassing for them. And in this, Jesus is trying to help people think, how do we break a cycle of bullying, perhaps, or power imbalance or oppression? How do you actually do that? 
And we see throughout history, fighting on the same terms that you are being bullied usually only leads to escalation, usually only leads to loss. And Jesus is saying, look, actually the only way you can do this is with love. And real love actually is costly. To love your enemies is a big cost. In verse 46, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Effectively, it's easy to love people that love you. Do not even tax collectors do the same. And tax collectors were some of the most hated people in Israel at the time. And he's saying, look, even tax collectors love their friends. So, so what difference does it make? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? You know, if you only talk to your friends, it's just what everybody does. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. And it's a challenge for us, actually, even in our most basic and easy relationships, to think, how do we love? Do we love so that the other person can win? So if you only love someone because they're good and kind to you, then it's not a big deal. It's actually relatively simple. It's the the minimum you should do. But how easy, easy is it to love someone when they're unlovable, when they're very difficult? It's very easy when they're lovable. I've got two kids, and I love them completely, but it's really easy. I mean, they're funny. I like hanging around with them. They're my kids, so I spent a lot of time with them. And there's something that happens kind of as a parent where you just love these kids. Even when they first turn up, they haven't actually done anything. They're just, in fact, they are taking from me. It's a net loss in sleep and food and money and everything, but you still love them, and it's easy. In fact, even if I sacrifice for them, which I have done and I keep, will keep doing so, that's easy because it makes me happy because they're happy. It's, it's a very easy thing. It's not costly. But real love happens when it costs, when perhaps someone actually doesn't care about you, actually doesn't seem to be that pleased when your life is going well, maybe even makes your life difficult, maybe they even do it on purpose. Actually, loving that person in that moment is a very costly thing. Again, I should say, Jesus isn't saying that person who abused you horribly, go back to them and just give them a cuddle. It's not what he means. He's saying, like, how creatively can you show the injustice? Actually, if we're only good to people that are good to us, then the world doesn't change. If you are good to people that are difficult, then actually maybe, slowly, the kingdom advances. And it is difficult. That's why Jesus says at the end, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is for us to grapple with, right? This is for us to ponder and think about. Jesus is laying a provocation in front of us to think, to consider, in front of humans, even to think, how do we love each other in a world of brokenness, in a world of imbalance, in a world of damaged relationships? How do we do that? How do we love each other sometimes when there is a huge power imbalance and somebody uses it against you? And Jesus says, well, we look to our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, what did he do? He offered up his son. The most powerful being in all of creation, if we're talking about power imbalance, God to us, it's relatively significant. He created everything, runs everything, it's all his, and yet he submitted himself. Didn't he? he? Through his son, made himself powerless, laid it down to defeat death, sin, and evil. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a very powerful statement. We look to the Father. 